So uh, during uh, farewell messages like this, uh, if you don't know, by the way, this is my last Sunday here as the pastor. Um, during these sort of farewell messages, um, it's sometimes pastors are sort of tempted or sort of want to say some unusual things at times um, because their job is sort of no longer on the line. And so they feel some sense of false boldness, maybe a sense of of that. Sometimes it's uh, airing some dirty laundry in the church, or maybe it's saying some controversial things. Well, um, we've already talked about politics the last few weeks. We've been talking about politics for the past few years. I don't know if there's much more of a controversial thing than that, so I'll say that's sort of covered. Uh, we've already been sort of starting some discussions the last several years about racism and dealing with that as an issue. Uh, and really every Sunday we already talk about one of the most controversial topics of religion, right? So we've already sort of covered a lot of the controversial topics uh, that maybe you could cover. Um, and so since I don't have another controversial topic to cover, let's air some dirty laundry. I'm just, just kidding. I'm just kidding. We're not actually going to do that. Um, but I would like to, you know, if we were going to do that, I was going to say uh, the last person to say not it is going to be the one I start with in airing the, <laughs> but we're not going to do that. So anyhow, um, since I don't have any dirty laundry there, I did want to say something to everyone, and I don't want to necessarily embarrass certain people, so I'm not going to highlight or emphasize anyone in, anyone in particular, but I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for the privilege, it's my privilege, to be your pastor over these last seven, seven and a half years or so, seven plus years. Um, it's really been my honor uh, to be with you guys. And in a way that, you know, you sort of start an experience, you don't necessarily know exactly what you're getting into. And, um, you know, there's a lot of things that um, maybe I would do differently or maybe not, I don't know. But bottom line, I've been so grateful to get to know many of you and to hear your stories and to, to see you live out your faith. And you live out your faith in ways that maybe others don't, um, and that's okay. And, and you're uniquely wired in so many ways that are just um, awesome to see. And uh, as I've sort of mentioned each week already, the generosity that I've seen from you is just something that just comes front of mind. To how generous you've been to me and my family, my kids but also the way that I see that you love your community and you want to be there for them. And so, um, again, the one thing I would say is thank you as we get started. Um, also, though, um, through our time together uh, these last seven years, um, you have hired a rookie pastor, rookie lead pastor, I should say. I'd been in student ministry helping with high school, middle school students. Um, but sort of transitioning into a lead pastor role, uh, you don't necessarily know what you're getting. And maybe you didn't know what you were getting. You kind of had some idea that it might be some strange first things happen along the way. Well, just a quick recap of some of those strange first things that happened for me. Um, minutes, and I mean minutes, before my very first Easter Sunday message, I cracked my rib on that door to the office carrying my table, this table, through the door and it hit the, the door frame and literally, I literally fractured a rib. And I got up here and tried to preach and I tried to be bold, but re being bold when you have a cracked rib is a little bit hard. And so I cracked my rib my very first uh, Easter Sunday. Um, then, um, I don't know if many of you knew this, but uh, a few years, maybe a year or so after that, a couple years after that, I actually fainted in my office, uh, and I don't know why. I went to the ER, and um, the doctors did a whole bunch of tests and stuff and couldn't tell why it happened, but it just happened. So that was my first sort of fainting experience like that. Um, and then last but not least, um, Kevin, I don't know if you remember this one, um, we were doing two Christmas Eve services one year, and um, after the first one and right before the second one, uh, Kevin informed me that I had split my pants, and I had a big gaping hole in a pocket in the back, and so I 
I tried very carefully to uh, you know, face the audience at all times and not turn my back on them. So uh, that, was, that was a little. And interestingly enough, um, they're very similar to the pants I'm wearing today. So hopefully, uh, a size bigger helps and <laughs> don't have any issues with that. Um, all right, so uh, one of the things that I want, I do want to leave you with a, a message that's not just uh, some fun, but leave you with a message that I hope will be helpful for you whatever the future looks like. Um, obviously, as I step aside from my position as lead pastor, I don't have any sort of say in the direction of the church and what happens, and God will be leading you. Uh, we have Albert, our, our, our denominational leader here, to help us as well. Um, and so this isn't to sort of give any sort of direction to you and, and the church and, and your lives necessarily uh, together, but these are things that what we're going to talk about today are things that we're all going to face at some point. And what those things are are obstacles, right? We're always going to face obstacles. And if you haven't faced any obstacles yet, let me just be uh, honest with you. You're going to face some obstacles very soon. And, and you probably all have faced obstacles, right? We face them all the time. Um, and as this sort of relates to obstacles, um, there's, there's this important leadership principle that I think will help get us to where we're going to go. And it's actually one of the, the most memorable leadership principles that I learned very early on in my ministry career. And this applies to anything. This isn't religious necessarily. This can be, but um, it's, it's just a principle. That there's this connection between um, there's problems to solve and there's tensions to manage. And if you can help see those things and distinguish those things, uh, it can be very helpful because sometimes we try to solve problems that we really shouldn't try to solve. There's sort of just a tension that we have to manage. And so that is why I actually have, um, thanks to my father-in-law and my mother-in-law for uh, providing this, I forgot one, but a bungee cord, right? This is the example of tension. It's one of the foremost uh, examples in my mind of tension. That um, you know, solving a problem sometimes is just a concrete answer one way or the other or down the middle or you know, whatever the thing is. And it's just sort of a direction you're gonna go. It's just going one direction. But tension, by nature, it sort of requires going in opposite directions, right? It sort of requires things that seem to be pulling you in opposite directions at times. Now, tension is an interesting thing because it's also a very helpful thing in life. There's so many areas of our life where tension, the idea of tension, I'm not talking about conflict per se, that's a, that's a different type of tension. But tension, like, like a bungee cord, is necessary for life, right? There's tension in the belts that you had in your car to get you here today, right? We need tension in, 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 in our vehicles. Now, we also have tension in the Golden Gate Bridge, which helps keep it even standing, right? Uh, there's tension in the tennis racket that I want to use to smash my cocky tennis player friend's face, right? I want to smash the ball. <laughs> That's maybe a little bit specific to me, but there's tension in various different areas of our life, and we need that tension. If you try to use a racket without tension in the, in the racket, it's not going to go very far, right? The ball's not going to go anywhere. Um, so the basic definition of tension is basically two or more forces sort of pulling, again, in the opposite direction from each other. And that's what makes tension in a bungee cord work. And, and the problem is, though, that for us, many of us, and, and I think some of us maybe feel this a little bit more than others, we, um, we, we feel that pulling and we feel like we're in the middle and we're literally being sort of pulled and stretched apart. And sometimes that's in our lives, whether that's your job or whatever, or maybe it's in a relationship or it's your family or whatever. You feel like you're sort of being just stretched and you don't know what to do. You're sort of just feeling like you're going to be pulled apart. And so our natural reaction when that's happening, right? I think all of us have the natural reaction that we want to stop the tension, right? <laughs> we want to figure out whatever the tension is and just stop, you know, so we're not being pulled in two directions and, and two different things. Um, for men, typically the way that we stop tension 
We try to fix it, right? <laughs> That's the typical thing that we try to do. Uh, women, again, stereotypical. Women, I think, try to talk about it and, and address it and whatever that might look like. Um, and then the other thing is that when, when men or women try to solve each other's tension problems, we create more tension, right? <laughs> Have you ever done that where you try to create or help solve somebody else's problem and then you realize, like, that did not help? <laughs> I just created more of a problem. Um, but this problem, this, this, the idea of tension is that it is necessary in our lives. There are good things that sort of have this tension pull uh, of both directions. And, and fixing it or talking about it or addressing it, sometimes that's not the thing. We need to manage it and find out the best way to actually deal with it. Uh, one of the constant examples in my life, and I think many of your lives as well, of this idea of tension is the balance and, and the managing of work and family, right? Constantly sort of balancing and measuring. Well, do I need to spend more time at work or do I need to spend more time at home? And the thing with that is, is that um, anytime with the work and family thing, if you just decide to go one direction only, like if you decide to pour your life into work, you would end up with very little relationships. You wouldn't have very much relationships. Uh, the flip side is if you just only went towards your family, uh, and you stopped working, well, your family might start complaining that you need to go back to work. Not, not just because they want you out of the house, but financially there's implications, right? There's all kinds of things that go along with that. And if you eliminate either side of the equation, it causes a problem, right? And so we need to balance those things. We need to keep them in tension together. And it's okay. There's just going to be a balance. You're going to have to figure out. Sometimes you need to go a little bit more towards family. Sometimes you need to go a little bit more towards work. You kind of got to just keep it uh, balanced a little bit. Um, another example of this is in business, right? Um, anytime you have a business and you have to uh, pursue new customers, new clients, new business opportunities, you also have to then take care of the existing customers and clients that you have. Because if you don't do one without the other, you'll never grow your business or you'll never take care of the customers, so you'll eventually lose more customers, right? There's this tension we have to manage in, in all of our lives. Um, and again, some tension is necessary, but with tension and with this always comes the idea that we're going to face obstacles. Now, um, this would be the part in the message where I would typically, and I think all of you enjoy this part so much, when I would typically sort of recap the series or recap the past few messages. Um, so I thought we'd take some time to recap every message from the last seven years, okay? So we're gonna, no, I'm just kidding, we're not gonna do that. But I wanted to recap a couple things that will lead us to our point today of what we're gonna talk about with tension. Some of the values that we've had as a church, and they might change, and, and to be honest, I sort of hope they do because they probably need to be adjusted and changed with a new pastor. Um, but some of the values that I think will help us and that I would hope I would leave with you as things that would be important in your life, whether they're communicated differently or not, that, that's okay. But these are some important things that I hope, uh, hope you'll value. Number one, uh, I hope you value people above everything. And when I say everything, I mean everything, everything, because everything else is a thing. And, and I try to do this, but I'll be honest, this is something that I, this is, a, this is a struggle for me at times, to make sure that I'm valuing people above whatever sort of thing that's going on in my head, <laughs> whatever little thing that I'm trying to maintain and manage. Because Jesus was sort of say, this is the target, to value people above everything, even above our own religious practices and our own religion and what that looks like that no thing is ever more important than a person. That includes our views, our politics, that includes our jobs, all those different things that are things, they're not more important than people. Uh, number two, I hope you value unchurched people as much as churched people. Now, to be very clear, unchurched just simply means somebody not regularly engaged with church. And in our area, there are a lot of people who have disengaged from church or who have never engaged with church in the first place. And um, 
practically speaking, if, if you're a church person, this basically means that you are going to have to, and you're going to have to at some point, give up your rights for something to consider how an unchurched person might view or handle something else. And, and I, I, I don't say this because you don't do this as a church. I think actually you guys do this pretty well. I say this because I want to remind you that hopefully this will continue to be a part of your life into the future, that, that we need to value people who are far from God. And, and maybe they've just taken a few steps away. Maybe they've taken a lot of steps and run in the other direction. Unfortunately, many times because of things the church has done, but we need to value them. We need to think about people that are outside of the church to help show them the love of a father who still wants them to come back and will go and run towards them. And so we should as well. Because as we're going to see this Christmas season coming up very soon, God was not far in distance from people, especially sinners, but God came down to be with sinners and to be with people far from him. All right, number three, real quick. Um, I hope you value God-sized goals that might involve risk and sacrifice. And this is the one where I sort of feel the happiest for you because I think we've reached several of these kind of goals uh, during my time being here, um, but I'm not sure what the next God-sized goals should be. <laughs> and that's where I think the next leader can come in and say, here's the direction, here's where we should go. Or, or maybe for you, your connection with God will say, yeah, this is the direction you need to go. Um, but I do know that sort of all those things, um, you know, I don't know what the God-sized goals are going to be next for you, but what I do know is that, um, that whenever you approach those kind of things, whenever you try to love unchurched people and value them, whenever you try to value people above things, there's going to be obstacles that come along the way. And, and the thing is, we all have a response to obstacles, right? There's, there's a very, very basic response to obstacles. We can just sort of stop and not do anything about it. Or we can just sort of push through and just go through the obstacle, go around the obstacle, do whatever we can to get the obstacle out of the way. You know, we can do some things to deal with that obstacle. And basically, there's basically two responses, right? You can take an active response and do something about it and address the obstacle. Or you can take a passive response and, and wait for someone else to do something about it or wait for God to do something about it or just sort of just be content with it being there, I guess. And so the thing about this, this idea is, again, these are sort of intention. Active and passive are sort of intention. As we see, our relationship with God involves some active, and it also involves some passive responses. That when we face obstacles, uh, there is a time for active responses, that we need to go and do something as a result of the obstacle that's in front of us. And then other times, we have to be passive. <laughs> we have to sort of wait and not do something right away. Because maybe what our action would do is cause more problem or hurt somebody or do something that God doesn't necessarily want us to do just yet. And so we're going to talk a little bit more about this, this, this connection between active and passive responses to obstacles. And, and one of the best stories I think about this is a story from the Old Testament, um, Exodus chapter 13. If, if you want to follow along the Bible app, you can do that. Um, we also have the notes and verses in the Bible app. If you go to the bottom right corner, um, select the more button. Click events, and you can find our church on the map there. Um, and all the verses will be on the screen, obviously, as well. But this is a story of a guy named Moses. And many of you maybe know the story of Moses a little, but I think all of us at least know somewhat the story of Moses. And Moses was actually a, a person that many historians believe was a real-life historical person. It wasn't some made-up Bible character kind of thing, but a historical figure. Um, and if you're not familiar with the story, basically God has chosen to show himself to the world through a small nation, a small group of people, relatively small group of people um, in, in the world. And um, this, this group of people has become enslaved in Egypt. 
And Pharaoh does not want to let them go. Pharaoh does not want to lose free labor, right? Like, why would you want to do that? That doesn't make logical sense in some senses, aside from the compassion piece, right? Um, but they have this free labor. Why would you let them go for just whatever reason? Plus, these, these small group of people, the Israelites, the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, they worship a different God than the, the Egyptians. And so, like, you know, God's supposedly telling them they're supposed to go. Like, how's God going to use them to do that? Because the Egyptians, they have their own gods, and our God said you shouldn't go. And, and so there's just this kind of this conflict. And so God's plan is to rescue the Israelites. It comes about particularly through um, Moses. But there are lots of obstacles along the way for the people. There are several obstacles along the way. And, and Moses, in some ways, was actually one of the first obstacles to God rescuing the people and, and to this plan that God had to rescue his people because he had been a murderer. Not only that, that's a big thing. I don't want to brush by that. Um, but also he was very unwilling for God to even use him to, to, to carry out this plan to rescue God's people. And so um, uh, eventually God gets this impossible person, this Moses character, um, to do this plan in Egypt to let thousands of slaves leave the nation where they were, were free labor. And on top of that, again, why would Egypt listen to Moses? Moses is supposedly coming as God's representative to tell, the, tell Egypt what they should do. They, well, why would they listen to Moses? That's not their gods. He, he doesn't represent their gods at all. And so, yeah, God was working through all these obstacles. As we're going to see, there's even more obstacles coming. And he's, uh, he's, he's going to show us, I think, this, this active and this passive response that we have to keep in tension with each other. Um, and so uh, starting off in verse uh, 17 of Exodus chapter 13, it says this. When Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through the Philistine territory. Even though that was the shortest route to the promised land, God said if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So again, most historians can sort of point to this, this path, and they, they really do think that the path would probably have gone through um, other fortresses from, from the Philistines. And, and so God knew that they couldn't handle that at the time. Now, there are times that God gives us more than we can handle because he wants us to depend on him. But in this case, God says they can't handle going through another battle right now after they leave Egypt. And so I'm going to direct them in a different route, even though the route that they could take would have been shorter. Now we're going to have to take a longer route to get to where we're going. So verse 18, so God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness toward the Red Sea. Thus the Israelites left Egypt like an army ready for battle. Now that key word there for me right now is roundabout. Because uh, I don't know about you, but this last few years has seemed like we're going in a roundabout kind of like all over the place. And, and, and not only in the pandemic, right? That was one thing we sort of had to navigate new. But now coming out of the pandemic, it, it sort of seems like a whole new world in a lot of ways uh, for the church specifically, but also for our own individual lives. Like, how do we sort of navigate these new things? And, and so much has changed in how we treat people and how we interact with people, how we interact in business, all, all the different things. It just sort of seems like a roundabout way. But even through that, the people were being led by God. And the Israelites were not just being led aimlessly, they were actually prepared and ready for what was going to happen. They weren't just standing out there with like no armor and not ready to go for whatever they were going to face. They were prepared. They had their armor on and they were prepared. The scripture said they were ready for battle. And even though life can feel like a roundabout way, let me just pause for a second and say, what do you need to be doing right now to be prepared for whatever could come? Because maybe you're still in that sort of roundabout kind of way and maybe you've been facing some obstacles. Well, what can you do now to be prepared, the sort of the active part of this journey. Verse 21, the Lord went ahead of them. He guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud 
and he provided light at night with a pillar of fire. This allowed them to travel by day or by night. Uh, verse, or chapter 14, verse 1. Then the Lord gave these instructions to Moses. And this is, this is uh, obvious. The, God is giving instructions to the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, uh, of what they're supposed to do, right? That's sort of, again, this active part that we're talking about. Verse 2. Order the Israelites to turn back, which again, roundabout, but God's now saying to turn back, and camp near Pi-Haharoth uh, between Migdal and the sea. Camp there along the shore, across from Baal Zephon. Uh, you don't need to know those names. Those are just locations trying to give the people, the audience, a, a frame of reference. Verse 3, then Pharaoh will think the Israelites are confused. They are trapped in the wilderness. So God sort of has this plan. He's going to have them turn back, and it will sort of confuse the Egyptians who are going to be coming after them. Um, and, and this is kind of interesting because where they turn back, it basically puts the Red Sea as another obstacle on their side. They sort of back themselves in some senses into a corner, but not quite a corner, to another side. And unfortunately, they're going to see somebody else coming at them from the other side. And they're going to see that they're sort of in some ways what they would think of as trapped. Verse 4, And once again I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after you. I have planned this in order to display my glory through Pharaoh and his whole army. After this, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And so the Israelites camped there as they were told. That the Israelites, they had a response to taking action. They actually had to take a response. They couldn't just, you know, God tells them and they just not do anything. They actually had to go and do what God had told them to do. But there was also a passive response um, to, to sort of just, again, do what they're told to do. That they didn't necessarily make the decision themselves. They were just following along with what God wanted them to do. Verse 5, when word reached the king of Egypt that the Israelites had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds. They had let them go initially. Now they've changed their minds. What have we done letting all those Israelite slaves get away? Translation, why did we just let the free labor go away? Why did we do that? Um, verse 6, so Pharaoh harnessed his chariot and called up his troops. He took with him 600 of Egypt's best chariots, along with the rest of the chariots of Egypt, each with its own commander. So basically, you know, they have one obstacle of the Red Sea. They have many more obstacles and about 600 of them coming at the nation, the people of Israel. Verse 8, the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, uh, the king of Egypt, so he chased after the people of Israel who had left with fists raised in defiance. The Egyptians chased after them with all the forces in Pharaoh's army, all his horses and chariots, his charioteers and his troops. The Egyptians caught up with the people of Israel as they were camped beside the shore near Pi-Haharoth, across from Baal-Zephon. Verse 10, as Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and they panicked. Again, they panicked because now they got the, the Red Sea or a body of water, at least, next to them. And they see the Egyptians coming at them. Not just any Egyptians, but the soldiers, the charioteers, the, the, the 600 group of people are coming at them, coming to them. And they panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them, or, or so they thought at least, right? And who could blame them, right? You, you sort of have something in the back. You can't go backwards. You can't go a different direction. And you see these groups of this large dust cloud coming at you, the Egyptians in their chariots, and you think, well, what's going to happen, right? It's, it's not too hard to draw some conclusions from that and to, to assume and, and, and maybe to get a little distracted from where you're supposed to be going and see what's actually happening in those moments. Verse, rest of verse 10, they cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? 
Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? Isn't that interesting? Like this big mob of people, they still have a sense of humor through all this, right? Like they still are able to laugh about it or, well, sort of make a joke at least. Um, Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Which again, let's think about where they're coming from. They're coming from Egypt where they were slaves and now they see this obstacle coming to them and it sort of has this disproportionately big effect of what they think it looks like compared to what it actually is and compared to what God can actually do through that obstacle. Verse 12, didn't we tell you this would happen while we, were, uh, th- while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone, which they didn't, right? They were actually complaining and wanting to get out of the slavery. But they said, we, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It is better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness, which maybe there's some truth to that. I don't know. You know, kind of got to figure out what you really want to endure. But the reality is they, they sort of, again, lost perspective. They lost the outlook for what their future could be. And it's so bad that now they think slavery actually seems good. That's how their perspective has been so distorted by the obstacles that they're seeing in front of them and behind them. And when obstacles come, that happens to us, right? When obstacles come to us, we sort of lose our perspective and our outlook on what things are supposed to be. Distractions sort of come in. We, we get distracted by whatever those obstacles are. We get distracted by other things and, and we lose focus of what we're supposed to actually be doing. And when the Egyptians are coming and Pharaoh's coming after them, and he's probably going to punish them on top of things, right? Uh, the Red Sea is ahead of them or behind them, and, and the, uh, the Egyptians are coming from the other side. It would be sort of natural to lose focus on what God is saying. And yet, when obstacles come, we have to remember that we're actively following God. That this is the sort of the active, we have to take a role in saying we're going to make a choice to take action and follow wherever God wants us to go. And we're not just actively following anyone, we're actively following God. And this is sort of where I think the Israelites get a little bit lost. They start thinking that Moses is really their ultimate leader, and Moses is not their ultimate leader, that God is actually their ultimate leader. So, again, pause, and we'll go to that sort of controversial political thing. No matter how you interpret the results of this week from the the elections, they're not our ultimate leaders. Whoever your party is, whoever your candidate is, we are ultimately following God. And those things can be helpful and we can do some important things through politics and through the different avenues of the world. But ultimately, we are following God and we can't get too distracted by the other things around us. In college, um, I had several responsibilities that involved uh, driving a 15-passenger van. I don't know if any of you have ever driven a 15-passenger van, but they're a little bit different than driving my little Prius. Let's just say that. They're, you know, they take a wider turn, all that kind of stuff. And so I had to you know, get trained on how to drive a 15-passenger van as a college student. And once I was trained to become a driver of a 15-passenger college student, something inevitably happens where you be, you're asked to do all these other things to help out driving the 15-passenger van for something other than what you were originally you know, intended to do that. Um, and so I started driving this 15-passenger van because I was somewhat responsible and I uh, had some training in it. And, and one of the nice things, one of the good things that I got asked to help with to drive was I got to drive the girls' volleyball team to their away games, and that was kind of cool. Uh, particularly, it was cool because there was a cute California girl on the volleyball team that I got to connect with, and so I got to get to know a little bit. So we're on this trip to um, Norfolk, Nebraska. I don't know if any of you have been to Norfolk, Nebraska. It's not western Nebraska, but it's, um, it's kind of you know kind of by itself and, and, uh, and pretty far from where we were uh, going to college. And so we're driving along the way, and um, I'm following the coach who's driving in another vehicle, 
vehicle. And I've got most of the team in my vehicle and the coach is, I think, just driving his own personal vehicle or her own personal vehicle. And um, I'm just having this conversation and all of a sudden my phone rings. And this is back in the day when it was like, you're not sure exactly who it was. It was a brick phone kind of thing. And um, all of a sudden I, I realized it's actually the coach's number. And at the same moment that I realized it's the coach's number, I realized the coach is not in front of me anymore. And I don't know where the coach is because I've been having this amazing conversation with the passenger <laughs> who is this cute California girl. And all of a sudden I was very distracted by this, this girl from California. And um, yeah, so all of a sudden I have no idea where the coach is. And the coach is a little bit upset because we're getting close to the game. And you know, like I've got the players and she doesn't have the players with her. And um, so I got a little bit of a yelling at, but I was very distracted in that moment, right? I was losing focus of the direction I was supposed to be going and who I was supposed to be following literally uh, in that moment. And sometimes we can get distracted just like that, right? We can get distracted by good things even, right? I would say my wife is a good thing person um, and, and relationships are good, but we can get distracted by good things and we can forget who we're following. And so maybe some of us need to think about that. Maybe money has distracted us. Maybe our job has distracted us. Maybe success or, or maybe the pursuit of success has distracted us. Maybe it's just circumstances. Uh, maybe it's a cute girl from California. Maybe it's uh, some, somebody else. I, I don't know. Uh, maybe it's other good things, but maybe you're distracted by something that you are losing focus on what God wants you to do and following what God wants you to, who God wants you to be and what God wants you to be doing. And the Israelites got distracted from who they were following. They got so focused on the circumstances and the obstacles that were in front of them, they lost their focus from being uh, on God and following him. So when we follow God or when obstacles come our way, rather, we need to remember that we need to follow God. We need to actively be following God. That's not necessarily a passive thing. It might seem like a passive thing. We need to be actively engaged in following God. Uh, continuing on. Uh, because we can't lose sight of both sides of the tension, right? If we just follow God actively, we don't have a passive sort of response, then we, we miss something as well. Verse 13, but Moses told the people, don't be afraid, just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. I think, again, Moses sort of teaches this idea that there's a passive role as well. There's this passive sense in which we have to sort of wait. There's a passive part to our response to God that we can't control. And so when this says, uh, be still, it literally means no movement. Don't move at all. Don't take any active response. Don't take any action at all. That when obstacles come, we have to remember that we are also depending on God. Yeah, we're following him and we're taking this active role of actively engaging with where God wants us to go and who God wants us to be. But we also have to take this dependent, passive, sort of patient posture with God as well. Now, for some of us, uh, I think this comes a little bit more natural than others. And maybe some of you kind of notice yourself being more active or more passive sort of based on how you're wired. And I think that's natural. Um, and for some of us, this is really hard because we want to take an active role all the time. <laughs> we want to be in control. To some sense, I think we all have that a little bit in us. We want to be in control um, and, and doing the things that we can do to control outcomes. But, but many times when we face obstacles, we have to acknowledge what we can't control what is beyond our ability. And we have to stand still, depend on God, and watch him work. When obstacles come, we have to remember we're depending on someone else. 
uh, when I was in um, uh, fifth grade, I think the summer of fifth grade, I was, I, my mom enrolled me in a day camp because um, she had to work and she's a single parent, had to figure out something for me to do. And so I was in this day camp um, that had this um, kind of oblong uh, pond that was uh, sort of long, but not really. Um, it was kind of just a small pond. It wasn't a lake, but pond. And we did all kinds of things. We did a lot of things inside the lodge, you know, played games and stuff. But when it wasn't raining, we were outside. We were, um, you know, canoeing, paddle boating, all those different kind of things and just enjoying. It was, it was actually a pretty fun summer camp. Um, and, and one day, I remember we went to canoeing as a whole group, like the whole, like, hundred of us. I don't know. There was a lot of us. So like, you know, 50 canoes or something. It was a lot of canoes. And we decided that the lodge on one end, we were going to go all the way to the other end. Again, it's sort of an oblong shape. Um, it actually ran north and south, so maybe I should say it like this. Um, and so we decided to go from the south part to the north part and just canoe back, right? That was simple, uh, nice little exercise. Um, but when we turned around and started heading back to the lodge, we realized that there was a big headwind all of a sudden. And the wind was out of the south, and it was just blowing right at us. And like, we're all like fourth, fifth grade kind of ages. Um, I was like 60 pounds dripping wet and like five foot tall already. Like I was just a skin and bones. And um, I, my partner and I, we just couldn't go, and nobody could go. The whole group of us, we were just stuck on the north side of this little pond. And so eventually we just said, okay, we're going to give up. We're going to pull our canoes on shore and we're just going to sort of walk around um, on the edge. And again, it wasn't a big pond. So we were able to go back to the lodge and get some help. And one of the counselors, I still to this day have no idea why he asked me. Again, I was one of the skinniest kids in the, in the whole group and, and maybe one of the tallest too. Uh, but he asked me, he looked at me and said, would you come help me bring these, tow these canoes back? And I'm thinking like, you don't want to ask like a bigger kid or a stronger kid or an adult or like, why are you asking me to do this? And it, it was a great experience actually, because I was able to go with this, this, this man and help bring back these canoes. But the whole time we're coming back against the wind, I'm just thinking, I am so dependent on this guy. Like, there's no way I could face this headwind. I'm like trying to canoe as, you know, paddle as hard as I could. I just was not going to go anywhere without him as sort of the motor behind me. I was very dependent on him. And again, that's sort of the sense in which this bungee cord comes into play. We can take an active role and we can be engaged in doing what we should do. But at some point, we have to realize we're dependent on other people. We are not fully independent creatures. The breath in your lungs, the life that you live, the strength that you have, the food that was given to you, the, the rain that helps water the crops, all kinds of things we could list. We are dependent on God. And sometimes we get distracted and lose focus of that because of the obstacles or because of life. But we have to have this balance, this tension to manage, that there's an active role in following God. There's also this sort of passive role where we have to sort of just wait and acknowledge that we are dependent on God, that we can't do this on our own. So some of us, again, we sort of focus on one side or the other. Some of us are naturally wired to one side or the other. We want to take an active role, and some of us maybe are more passive and willing to let other things or other people do other things. But we really need this, this, this idea of both. Because if we try to do one without the other, we are really trying to, both times, trying to do something without God's help. Because sometimes God asks us to actually take a step, an active step. And then other times God says, I need you to wait on me to do something. And we need to do both. So uh, one quick obstacle that I wanted to address um, that, you know, is going to be something that you guys have to wrestle with as a church. Uh, one big obstacle is, is our community right now. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, and I wasn't aware of this until a few months ago. Um, our school district is losing kids at an alarming rate, in my opinion. Um, not, maybe not so alarming, like we need to sound some alarms, actually, but it was surprising to me at the very least. Our school district has lost about 4,000 families 
or 4,000 kids in the years before the pandemic, leading up to the pandemic. And they expect to lose another 5,000 kids in the years after, or as we you know, wrap up the pandemic, whatever that looks like. That's a lot of kids that are leaving our area um, and, and going elsewhere. And, and that's a real challenge for a church if we're trying to reach young families or trying to reach kids or trying to you know, build community with families. That, that's, uh, that's, a, that's an issue that you're going to have to face. And I think it's going to take an active and a passive approach to coming up to that obstacle saying, well, how do we address something just demographically in our community? How do we address that? What do we do? Um, uh, maybe the active side is, is, is engaging with other churches, which I have already been doing in some of my meetings with pastors in our community to say, let's, let's talk with each other. Let's, let's resource each other. Let's, you know, this sort of the buzzword, let's collaborate together and figure out like, what can we do to actually address this problem? And, and I'll be honest, the other churches that I've been in contact with are, are still trying to figure it out as well, we don't have any answers necessarily. But also there's gonna to have to be some sort of a passive response to, to this obstacle, but any of the obstacles you face moving forward. We're going to have to depend on God as well. We can't just active our way out of that. We can't just sort of move ourselves out of it. It's gonna take a balanced attention, a managing the tension sort of approach. So as we sort of think personally, um, which side do you notice you sort of fall yourself more naturally into, active or passive? I, I think all of us would sort of say we probably fall into one of those two. Uh, maybe there's a little bit more of us one side or the other. I don't, I don't know. Uh, but we need to sort of identify that because I think it helps us to understand where is our weaker side? Where, where's the side that we don't necessarily default into or don't necessarily lean into enough? Because you know and I know that if you're more active, Sometimes you do need to be more passive at times, right? Sometimes you need to be patient and wait on God to do something and look for God's activity and then just join that. Um, others of us, maybe if you're more passive, you know, you know this, right? That sometimes you need to be more active and engage in the world, but also engage with what God wants you to do. And it's gonna take a balanced approach to saying, yeah, we need to be active. We also need to be dependent on God. Yeah, we're gonna actually do this thing, but we're also asking God to help us to know what to do and, and what to do moving forward and to work in people's hearts and mind. And I think the thing that's at stake here is again, that people, people are at stake here. If we don't take an active approach, we might miss opportunities to actually go and impact somebody and love somebody and help them to see God. And if we're not passive, again, we might miss the same opportunities because we're not listening. We're not dependent on God to show us what we actually need to do and what you need to do as a church moving forward. But when obstacles come, we need to remember that we're following God and we're dependent on God, both at the same time. And I think if the Israelites um, didn't realize this or didn't see this, you know, the story that we're sort of leaving uh, empty here, not, not covering, is the story of the Red Sea, right? Parting the Red Sea. And you don't have to necessarily believe that was literal to, to get the point of this message. You know, maybe you do. But there, there's something powerful that if, if the Israelites didn't realize that they were following God actively and be prepared and ready for battle and also realize that they were dependent on God and Moses helped them to see that, they might have missed what was going to happen next. And something that happened next was amazing and an amazing thing. And so let me close by reading the last verse of this, this passage for today. Verse 14, Moses says this, The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. So I don't know where that sort of lands with some of you. Maybe some of you are, again, needing to take more of an active approach to something, some obstacle in your life. Some of you are maybe need to take a more passive approach like this and simply say, okay, 
God, I'm gonna have to let you fight this battle. This is not something I can fight. I need your help. I also need your help to stay calm too, because I don't know how you do that in the face of some of the obstacles, particularly the obstacles that Moses was facing. But what I do know is that we can turn to God and we can follow him and we can depend on him through any obstacle, whatever the obstacle might be.